The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about this show, go to KUCI.org. KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. You are now listening to Our Digital Future. Let me remind you... We have our guest today in Dan Zhang. 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 No, Zhang. Okay, you say it correctly for everyone. Dan Zhang. Thank you for coming down, and you are an official librarian. Finally, we have an official librarian on the air again. Our first one was uh, Virginia Allison, our first week of the summer, and now we have Dan in. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for agreeing to talk about libraries and librarians and film and the future of libraries this is our hour five to six every wednesday our digital future hosted by me zibazi i just started library school so we're, we're getting into these topics of discussion as well uh, but first i want to ask you how did you get to where you are now it's uh it wasn't a digital thing and it was a non-digital past i guess uh, <laughs> i am um, I think I I realized that I like books. I don't know if people go into library school these days if they like books. But in those days, I was in the PhD program in uh, political science, actually. But I realized I'd rather do something else. And so um, after some protests on campus over the uh, TA union, uh, this was like 1975, we organized the first strike at Michigan uh, for uh, teaching assistance, and it was successful. Um, and uh, it was like a month-long strike over Easter uh, and beyond, before and after. And so after that, I switched, I think, and um, became uh, went to library school um, at Michigan. Oh, Michigan, good. So that's out of California. That's a good experience. How did you like it there? Uh, I liked it a lot, yeah. I mean, and I was a great college town. And, uh, I mean, it's kind of cold, you know. You, you had to dig your car out in the winter uh, from snowstorms quite, off, quite often. But it's, you know, it's a top school, and um, the library school is quite, quite nice. So, yeah, you decided to do, um, change your path to library school. And how have you liked that since becoming a librarian? You got your MLS, um, Master's of Library and in Information Science. I got, uh, yeah, it's, it was just uh, I'm a Master's of Library Science, and uh, in those days they called it. And the, uh, I got, yeah, I sometimes wish I'd stayed and finished my PhD, because I think you do get more respect as a PhD. With the same degree, the same um, subject? Yeah, uh, or, or film studies or something. Oh, <laughs> Maybe. yeah. I would like that, but uh, yeah, because the faculty do give you more respect if you have uh, gone through the same uh, kind of rigorous you know lifestyle that they had to go through so and still being a university librarian here but then with a PhD versus a master's is that what you're saying yeah I'm, I think in terms of research I mean this is a, supposed to be a research library and so uh, uh, somebody with a PhD might uh, relate better to faculty oh good yes there's a lot of uh, politics with the faculty at a university and keeping the library a vital 
part of the campus, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, there are always uh, tensions between different uh, constituencies, I guess you call it, in the library. And so, you know, especially in a time where there's budget cuts. Um, so some things have to give, I guess, because you can't be all things to all people when you don't have the money. So you've been at UC Irvine for how many years? 24. Wow, I was 24, working at um, the library. Same job, actually, basically. Wow, so then you're officially the... What's your official um, librarian subject specialty? Um, I'm a bibliographer, which means I select materials in those topics, uh, in the topics of political science, economics, and Asian American studies. And I'm also the data librarian. Oh, very good. digital data, basically. Oh, that's great. We have a specialization called uh, data curation. And that's, they say, maybe to specialize in that. Yeah, I'm actually going to a data curation camp uh, in a few weeks at Berkeley. There's a kind of gathering of data people to discuss digital futures for libraries. Oh, very interesting. what you curate. Well, we should have you come back and talk more after that camp maybe that's a good topic for our show here our digital future once again you're listening to librarians around the world discuss the digital future of our information spaces today we have dan here thanks for coming and also um we just heard about how he became a librarian and his time here now um you just recently came back from a conference correct yeah i was in uh, asia a part of furlough part of vacation and also a conference yeah Oh, tell us about your um, conference. Uh, this was a conference, or a bus- uh, they call it a seminar, uh, on uh, Southeast Asian cinemas. And it's usually held every two years, and depending on whether they can do it or not. And has all has been held in a different Southeast Asian country each time. Uh, the last time I went to it, uh, it was in uh, Malaysia. And I think uh, a couple of years ago, it was in um Indonesia. I didn't make it that trip. But uh, this time, uh, it's basically film studies uh, professors, uh, very academic. Um, and then also so they, they managed to get some local filmmakers, directors, um, film people to show up, producers, then discuss uh, local industry uh, issues. Uh, so this was uh, the first time they held it in Vietnam, in Ho Chi Minh City, at, actually at a hotel. And so <laughs> it was quite interesting because you get a mix of people and uh, a lot of people from the region, of course, uh, but also academics from around the world. Oh, wow. And what are the topics like locally there for film right now? Uh, I think the a, a big thing in Vietnam is the return of Vietnamese Americans um, of, to Vietnam. Uh, people that left the country and now they go back and uh, lots of people from Orange County uh, actually doing work as film directors in Vietnam. Um, uh, one of them uh, is an actress, and she actually worked at the MRC where you work oh, wow. uh, before, Kathy Nguyen. And she was a student here, and now she's a f- film star in Vietnam. Her film oh, was wow. playing. It was, her film was actually playing at the time when, when I was there, but I didn't see it yet, so I need to go see it. But she's one of the more famous Vietnamese-American uh, actresses there we should have her film um 
bought for the library, and then it could be part of the MRC collection. Wouldn't that be interesting? Yeah, we have her other films. So, I mean, there's a bunch of films that she's been in. Yeah, and uh, lots of uh, uh, directors from Orange County also. And so, um, yeah, so there is a UCI connection uh, as well. That's so interesting. And then you're um, in the East Asian department here at UCI, also purchasing videos for that. No, I, I, I was the, uh, there's no department. Oh, okay. Uh, there is the East Asian Languages and Literatures Department. Oh, yes. But uh, I was the acting uh, librarian for that department for a few years. Uh, and I was also the acting film studies librarian before Virginia came. Oh, tell us about your time as the film studies librarian. Uh, that was great because I really like film. And I actually got interested in film because... I about 10 years ago I think I met uh, I mean I was always interested in alternative films but I met a filmmaker from Vietnam and during one of his tours and I eventually got him to come on campus a few years ago to give a talk in, about five years ago and um, so um, I maintained a, a kind of connection with Vietnamese filmmakers and I've also been interested in films about Vietnam um, made uh, outside Vietnam and f my talk at the conference was actually focusing on uh, films that were made in Hong Kong about Vietnamese and do you know when the first film the first such film was made? What year? In Hong Kong about Vietnam? Yeah or, about, uh, uh, made about Vietnamese or Vietnam Yeah. 1925 Oh wow <laughs> you're pretty <laughs> no, it was 1933. Oh, it was, pretty close. It was the 16th film made in Hong Kong, uh, but it was never seen in Hong Kong. It was produced in Saigon, and um, which was then under French control. And uh, But the main goal was actually to reach out, I think, partly to the um, Chinese diaspora, the overseas Chinese community. What was Although, that film called? Uh, it's uh, Fallen Flower and Catkins, I think. But it was made uh, with sub uh, with Vietnamese subtitles, and I, I, nobody's seen it. I, I guess uh, recently, of course, because I'm not sure. I'm still trying to dig out, dig out, uh, or discover whether there or not there is any uh, existing copy of it. But uh, in Vietnam, I I got through a good researcher friend uh, copies of uh, reviews of uh, not that film, but of. Uh, of um, or articles about uh, Hong Kong uh, filmmakers and industry people helping Vietnam in the 50s, I think, in Saigon, and or maybe earlier. So I got some articles in Vietnamese, and I got some articles uh, in English for my research. And so I'm continuing that uh, quest to dig up the past. And, oh, yeah, I love uh, history. Yeah, and I found out that in 1939, it turns out, uh, Shaw Brothers, which is a big uh, firm in Hong Kong, a film uh, industry firm, they um, make lots of films. Uh, they were sending 11 films a month uh, in Cantonese to Saigon. Uh, and Vietnam was the um, second largest market after Singapore and Malaya. So that was pretty amazing to me. This is back in 1939. You know, when you think, you know, film wasn't that big a deal, but it was. Oh, for yeah. certain communities and uh, especially ethnic communities that um, would, you know, like the films that were made in Cantonese 
Um, so that's what I'm trying to dig up more about the relationship between those two uh, areas, uh, Hong Kong and Vietnam. Uh, and lately, they, the re most recent uh, development is uh, a Hong Kong company that does uh, 3D mm -hmm. is, uh, is uh, doing work with Vietnam now and oh, wow. sending their software or their people to go there to help create 3D movies in Vietnam. Oh, wow. Do you know if they have a national library there? There's a um, there's definitely a national archive and library. Um, and Do they the have film, a film archive? There's a film institute. And, uh, I mean, you know, it's a development country, so a lot of things are not well preserved, but there's an American there who sets up a film company, a, a film uh, club, I guess, called Hanoi Cinema Tech, and he's been converting some classic films uh, into DVD. Oh, yeah. And then distributing them. So that, uh, some of which we have at the library. Um, so uh, that's one way to uh, preserve this legacy of early films. Yeah, that's great to convert um, analog to digital for the future. Well, this was, yeah, this was from film and or from, you know, I mean, yeah, the earlier versions. Um, but the one thing I found out that is all the new filmmakers that are from, that I told you about that came back to make films in uh, Vietnam from U.S. or from Orange County, none of them actually pay attention to the early history of filmmaking in Vietnam, which I think is a mistake. It's a loss because there was a whole um, expansion of culture and uh, filmmaking and development. I mean, uh, in under French colonial rule, uh, I mean, there was a whole, uh, and then also under socialism. But because uh, the Orange County filmmakers generally do not like socialism, they go back and they just don't want to watch those films, which I think is a mistake, because uh, it's the film their parents watched, yeah, or their you know relatives up north watched, and um, and it's the legacy, it's uh, Vietnam's legacy. Filmmaking, I think, did not start uh, when the Vietnamese Americans went back. You know, there's a tendency for people to think that there was no filmmaking in Vietnam until the West went back there and that's not true of course oh yeah it's great when you take um film history class at uc irvine i just recently got a film and media studies uh, bachelor's here we went through um also all over the world the beginning of film in each country and it's very interesting to see you know who has the the money and time and then the the nations they know that it's very important to get it out to the rest of the world you know a view from their country from their own directors, from their own people that live there and can contribute to how the world sees them. So I think it's great to look back at the first films in the early 1900s from whoever had the um, equipment to make those films. Right, right, right. I mean, there's actually a lot more connection of, with UCI among the Vietnamese Americans. There have been directors going there. Uh, we have the Vietnamese American Film Festival, also International Film Festival, every two years at um, the Humanities Instructional Building. And um, so, I mean, there is an ongoing kind of dialogue between Orange County and, um, and Vietnam. And then um, for our listeners that, um, I mean, I'm sure everyone's familiar, you have your own radio show every, once a week here on KCI for how many years now? Uh, <laughs> it started in 1993, September, although I took a couple of years off uh, 
because I went to Vietnam on a research grant, and uh, I think it was two year, two years off, I think. Oh, yeah. so a lot, a lot. You've been here a long time, and um, on your show, is this the kind of things you talk about, or is it more yeah, political? Yeah, I've had lots of filmic. No, I've had a lot of directors on, and uh, you know, recently, especially last ten years, has been mostly <laughs> film people, actually. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Keep the discussion of um, film all over the world. Um, yeah, especially new films. I think next week I'm gonna have uh, talk about two new films. Well, I can't remember the titles. That's opening in LA and stuff. Yeah. Do you ever bring in any um, library perspectives and talk about um, libraries, film libraries, or archives, or sometimes? Uh, although the, yeah, I mean, especially with uh, independent filmmakers, it's, I mean, they they want to know how to distribute it. Uh, they uh, recently it seems like. They're more interested in DIY kind of techniques of distribution um, instead of you know uh, giving it to a distributor distributor because then they lose control sometimes. Yeah, and with copyrights now, everything's very. But what you said there's that new that new rule now: film students and film. Oh yeah, there's a, a new interpretation of the Copyright Act that the uh, the I think the Library of Congress uh, they maintain that. The statute, I guess, or they interpret it, and they say now that uh, under the Copyright Act, all faculty can show film clips for their classes, and uh, film studies students can can put it, can use them also. I'm That's not sure good. what they say about other students. Yeah, and then I like Creative Commons where everybody yeah. can use everything. I think more yeah, people should look into that. More, yeah, that's more the trend. I think that. Um, you know, I mean, although I think a lot of independent filmmakers, because if that's the only thing they make, you know, they create, um, they do charge libraries more to buy their films because that's the income to them, mm-hmm. and they're independent filmmakers. Uh, so sometimes they could be quite pricey. They could have home editions that are twenty dollars or ten dollars, but the library editions might be, you know, five hundred or something. That's why it's 300. so hard. Yeah, that's why it's so hard um, at the MRC or different university um, multimedia collections. The the access that um, students have to browsing in person, like we don't want, you know, things to be um, lost because when we then it's hard to replace them, especially if they're out of print. But yeah, I think also the the cost is actually quite high because people think, wow, you can go down to you know, or go to Netflix or something, get something or. Before you could go to well, Barnes and Noble, you could go buy a DVD for you know most expensive is probably thirty dollars or something. But it's different when they sell it to libraries a lot of times because yeah. because you're you're licensing it to a different audience. Yeah, so it's they even said um in in our class something about yeah we're moving away f- libraries from purchasing more like they're renting because it's like more yeah leasing because it's not like but that's the difference between um. The MRC here and over there in Illinois, it was all open for browsing. Like any students could see the collection up front and take them out for you know a couple days. Here, you know, we're, each university has a different policy. Yeah, yeah. It's no checking out. Yeah, some schools actually put them all on a server and then you can just you know view it. But I think because of the complexity of the licensing, we we're not sure we can do that. Yeah, just to be safe. That's what's hard with um, film and copyright and libraries and. Yeah, I mean there there are barriers. You know, the, these are kind of barriers to open access. 
And ideally, everything should be open.、Uh, but then there are different competing demands on、um, on the rights, you know, because the filmmaker might get totally left out even if you just put it up on the web and they can't sell any more films or make any money from being a filmmaker. That's true. And here, here we are at the the midpoint of our show now. So that is our.、Um, First half of the show, and we'll take a quick song break. Let's hear some more、um, Bob Nana, and we'll get back with、um, our guest today, Dan, to talk about libraries and the future of libraries.、Um, this past half hour, we talked about、um, a lot of film, lot of great、uh, East Asian film information. Let's.、Um, we'll be right back. Welcome back here, our digital future. KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, Wednesdays 5 to 6 p.m., where librarians around the world discuss the future of our information spaces. Today we have the li- our、um, second librarian of this summer here to talk with us. We have Dan here, and we're going to be discussing in our、um, last segment of our show before 6 p.m., which is now. Let's talk about the future of libraries and the digital. Aspects of what could happen with everything、um, material being switched, converted to digital. There's、um, the California. I heard there's this big like digital repository or the California Library. And well, what are your what are your thoughts? What do you what do you think is going to happen? You're going to a lot of conferences coming up about it. And yeah, I I mean it's still a growing area.、Uh. I mean, I've mostly been re- dealing with、uh, research data.、Um, when I first started, before I,、uh, right after I finished library school at Michigan, I worked at the、uh, Interuniversity Consortium for Political and Social Research, which is the largest archive in the U.S. of、uh, research data on、uh, on those topics,、uh, like survey data,、uh, demographic data, and stuff. Like the、and、census. S- Or? Yeah, that kind of stuff, or, or just public opinion surveys of you know people's attitudes on different issues, and、um, so we, so I've been helping students and faculty、um, use that kind of data in their research for secondary analysis, because it's easier, of course, for a graduate student to、um, to use something that was already collected. They don't have to go out and go and get it, you know, themselves, and it's shareable. So. This was when I first came in '86.、Uh, I was doing that and still doing this. I was the representative for this ICPSR、uh, group and、uh, to the group, and、uh, also it's you know it's much better to I mean to share because otherwise you just collect your stuff and then you do your research and then who else is going to read it? You know maybe、uh, if you don't share it, but if you share you, what you collected. People can improve on your findings, and、um, that's good、uh, scholarly communication. It's how science develops, right? People critique each other's work, and you need the raw data to do that. And so,、uh, you know, so for years we were trying to get librarians interested in this stuff, and it was very hard、um, because people didn't understand what data was.、Um, nobody knew what、um, a code book was. Uh, then all of a sudden,、uh, in the last few years,、uh, metadata became a craze, and metadata is data about data, 
It's just uh, information about... Digital tagging. Yeah, it's just uh, documentation, basically, uh, and tagging. Yeah. So a type of cataloging. Yeah, cataloging. But for electronics. Yeah, so now the departments of metadata, uh, I think one of the UC cataloging departments is called metadata department. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We have a yeah. class offered that maybe I should take metadata class. It's probably just a fancy name for cataloging. Yeah. Fast. But the um, but there are you know issues because n- n- now it's easier to tag things and the Library of Congress, for instance, has put pictures up on its um, uh, on its uh, uh, website, and you can actually anybody can actually tag it because not you know the it shows the limits of what you know, right? I mean, not every person who processes a digital object knows where it came from, what the context is, well, um, you know, what, what this tree is, a, was in what park, you know, they might not know a lot of things. So if you share it to the open world on a blog type uh, thing where you can comment, and this, this comment involves tagging, and so you can actually tag, uh, the public can actually look at a picture and say, ah, this is about what, and then contribute to the knowledge base yeah i saw something like that on art store yeah similar right, right. with pictures and right, sharing right. information yeah but library of congress has uh, some database of all these Im- a lot of images where they actually invite people to contribute the the cataloging information i guess oh yeah, yeah. i heard um library of congress is not um a national library it's more of a collection of all over the world um, and that English isn't even the number one language in the Library of Congress. Um, do you think that's true? Or in, what do you mean? In, um, you know how there's Spain and there's the National Library of Spain and then some nations, are, their libraries are more, their, their national library is to collect the history of everything to do with that nation, every, pub- every book ever published, well, I think, every film. I mean, it's a library for the Congress, but it, because it... Um, is the depository place for the Copyright Act. You know, they administer the Copyright Act. So if you want to copyright something, you have to deposit a copy of it, in theory. Uh, except unless it's an artwork, I guess. Oh, so they have everything. <laughs> no, no, they don't, oh, actually. But in theory, they could have oh, yeah. for books, I mean. But sometimes you can catalog it. Like uh, for if you're cataloging a magazine article you don't have to send it in you just list it on a, in a list and then you can copyright it I mean not catalog if you want to copyright your writings you can submit a list and you don't have to send the actual articles I think did but, you ever think about working there uh, no no yeah it's like a, I I've it's been inside it's amazing because I've been inside the Library of Congress and for p- periodicals for instance the room just goes you know in a, like a L shape. I mean, what do you call it? Uh, it just en- never ends. You go down one hallway, you go back up, and then it's just alphabetically that all the stuff comes in and gets processed. There must be thousands and thousands of magazines every day on newspapers. Wow. You know, I mean, it's just. I mean, if you think about the the thousands we get at UCI, then you must you know multiply by that by a hundred times, a thousand times every yeah. day. Yeah. That's good for um, libraries to be the source of um, free um, information access and equal access for all. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean those, that's a goal, right? And usually they talk about public libraries doing that. And um, 
you know, but a lot of, of course, because of the budget crisis, a lot of libraries are closing, you know, staff are being laid off, and pay is being cut, and um, especially uh, children's librarians are just an uh, endangered species. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so it's, uh, it's a worthy goal, uh, and so maybe the way to think of it is not to be tied to a brick-and-mortar uh, structure, but to think of other ways of accessing information via, you know, cloud computing or some other way that people can access it. But of course, not everything is digitized. And so that's still a lot of stuff that remains in special collections, collections. And uh, many things uh, you don't, you know, I mean, it's, you get different pleasure from touching it. I know, you know, people might think it's weird to touch a piece of paper or read from a book that's 100 years old. But it, the tactile feeling is different. You're looking at the texture, looking at the printing, the imagery, you know, you know the colors. It could be different uh, yeah. from just looking at it as an image on a screen. That's why I heard some special collection, um, rare collection librarians, actually, some of them want their stuff to be digitalized so it will have less human contact and less breakage, breakdown, and will be um, stored online. Yeah, definitely. So people can do research from outside. But it's still important, I think, for the real scholar to go and look at, you know, the actual scholar to go and look at the real thing. I think it's a different feeling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, so we do keep artifacts, I guess they call it, of newspapers sometimes. We, we, we may toss most of the run, uh, even if we have it on digital format, but we may keep the first issue or some other issues, especially of small press and alternative press, because graphically it's, it just stands out more than the digital image. So it's important for the students to actually know that these things exist. Uh, and then you can, that you can look at them and find them in these collections. Yeah, and I think that's the, is getting the, the word out there. I think some places need better marketing because when you actually spend time in a library and see what's available, I think the common civilian doesn't see, doesn't know what's available to them. Well, even people that work in it don't know everything. Yeah. I mean, there's just too much stuff. There's I a mean, lot. Your, your human mind just cannot process, you know, everything that we have and... So catalogs uh, you know, are there to help you, but not everything is cataloged, you know, and because it needs you know, input time, you know, yeah. human time to do it. Libraries and archives and information institutions are very important to, I think, our country and our local history. Every place you go contains history, so it's very great to keep a history um, digitally and in person yeah but who's archiving on the YouTube you know contributions now they're just too much right I mean yeah so, I heard there's um, a Google project yeah I mean the Google has uh, internet archive and internet archive that's separate and then we, we actually work with Google to uh, scan you know a lot of books uh, we're part of this uh, project to scan books that we have yeah and I so saw that machine with the glass and it takes a picture of each yeah. side they had that at the UCLA SRLF um, holding storage space. Oh, yeah. They, a lot of the stuff gets done there, yeah. But the thing is, um, you still need some quality control. I found, um, you know, I was looking up stuff on Vietnam War, and I found a book that was cataloged in the you know, early part of the century, and there was no Vietnam War, you know, 
Uh, I mean, there was maybe other wars, but there was. Oh. <laughs> so it was just a miss. The the year got uh, coded, tagged wrong in the catalog for oh. a, for a digital thing that you know Google did, and so um, so I mean there are errors, right? Because、yeah. machines can't do everything, so there should be a human kind of oversight for quality control. So, but inevitably, inevitably, if you if you scan your ten hundred thousand books, there's going to be a few titles that are going to mess up. Yeah, we saw、um, a location that they're doing Internet Archive、um, digitalization of books at、uh, University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. We saw their similar SRLF、um, storage space. Mm. And they had、um, really high stacks of their storage. They had to have a machine to go pick up stuff from yeah, the really high. To grab it, yeah. Yeah, and then really cold,、uh, like storage temperature controlled. Yeah. Yeah, all、yeah. that's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting. Maybe a hundred years, people won't even touch a book.、Mm-hmm. They'll just read it on the screen. But I, the problem is, a lot of small press may not get.、Um, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? Do you think like alternative writers, you know, politically dissident writers, how would their publications get, you know, into this mainstream?、Uh, because just as in、uh, mainstream publishing, there are big presses and small presses, and I'm sure in the digital world, there's, you know, there will be overwhelming, you know,、uh, titles that everybody wants to read, and then there'll be small press.、Uh, Maybe creative press stuff, creative writing、uh, that may get lost in the masses of the whole morass of、uh, digital objects. So I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if there's a way to preserve a space on this world wide web for literature that is、um, of importance to the culture. You know, because you don't want everybody to re. Just homogenized. Yeah, it's very hard.、Um, I think with the internet to search and see the differences. I mean, when you go in person and it, it, like there's a hallway with different sections, but、you、on the internet, browse, yeah, it's just I don't. It's just hard to. That's why、um, librarians are helpful. It help. depends on how they index. Yeah, like、mm-hmm. I was on YouTube last night and I was watching some video. And then the, on the right-hand side, there were links, right, to what this guy had put up or other people had put up, and so you actually, you know, serendipity. Actually, you're searching, and then you find something interesting, and you click on it. And so it all has to do with metadata, how it's cataloged.、Uh, otherwise, it'll be lost forever, you know. And、uh, so, I mean, it's. I think there will always be a need for information specialists because you need to catalog this material. Otherwise, you know, how are you going to find it? Yeah, and and nothing then, gets cataloged by itself, you know. And policies have to be、um, created and discussed, and information specialists are great,、yeah. knowledgeable people to help create policies of the future. You can uh, create uh, processes that will capture certain things and ingest it and outgest it,、um, and、uh, so that's the future. I think that's the near future. They're going to come up with all sorts of. Little gadgets or little、uh, toolkits for us to capture the title, the you know, the author, the you know, the bibliographic information, and then spew it back out. Visually? Well, I don't know. It's somehow it's either from a file that's already been created, or 
uh, that's tagged, you know, like mock codes or mock codes or something, you know, in Library of Congress term, you know, or OCLC, which is a cataloging uh, schema, and um, uh, that they use, and they, if they can capture this information without human intervention, that's that's the goal, I guess. But then, of course, you still have to check it. There's also the topic of um, RFID chips. Yeah, what do you think of that? Um, well, we had a group presentation um, we watched as our in our library boot camp. Someone showed a negative of it is that you can put um, aluminum foil over the RFID chip and it won't sense that you're taking it out of the library. So that's damaging to your D- DVD collection if that circulates. They can walk out without checking it out because they cover the RFID chip. Yeah, I mean, you, they're saying that uh, your passports are going to be coded like that so that if you go into a room, uh, you don't have to show your passport because they can automatically scan it. So to yeah. frustrate it, you could put uh, tinfoil over it, I guess. Yeah, they already uh, have it in so the passports, the RFID yeah, chip. So that's, uh, it's a problem for privacy, you know, because anybody who, with that scanner can get your personal information in that room. Because yeah, it's a radio frequency. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think there are a lot of privacy issues connected with it. Um, and once you, and if your library card is connected to a, you know, personal information, then people can uh, get the records later to see what you read. You know, what if you go out and kill somebody and they want to find out, uh, or even if you're just a dissident and writing uh, political dissident literature. Um, That's also the U.S. Patriot Act, right? The FBI, um, they put those signs in some libraries saying the FBI was not here. Oh, they're just, yeah, they, they're, they're worried that the government may come in and... Um, ask for records. Like, ask for records of what you read and stuff. And, yeah, the Patriot Act has changed a lot. So, I mean, changed a lot of uh, what they can do and what they cannot do. Uh, mostly what they can do. And, uh, now... And so it is a bad thing, actually, um, because, you know, there should be some freedom for us to read. You know, what if just because I have Mein Kampf in my house, does that mean I'm a Nazi? I mean, that's a kind of a, a philosophical, you know, flaw, you know, that you can jump to that conclusion. But, you know, but I can imagine if you en- ended up in some crime and they found dissident literature, they'll say, oh, my God, he's an anarchist. Oh, my God, he's whatever, a Nazi. And it's easy to say that, yeah. but it has no logic to it. Yeah, I think we just because you read something doesn't make you that person, that type of person. Yeah, we shouldn't jump to conclusions or judge or think negatively or be pessimistic. We should give people the benefit of the doubt. Like we need to trust people yeah. to have free information. Because access. if you if you don't if you aren't allowed to read dissident literature, then how are you going to uh, come up with your own opinion? I mean, otherwise it's just mainstream, uh, you know, streaming of data bits into your head and you're not going to be challenged you could be numbed and so I think it's actually with these all these digital objects actually I hope more people are reading I just came back from Hong Kong also and there's this annual book fair there and they have a million people going to it over several days and English books Chinese books uh, and the good thing is it shows it's allowed uh, you, Hong Kong is, uh, you know, in between China and Taiwan. And so, I mean, in terms of policies, so you have books from Taiwan, you have books from China, and you have books from Hong Kong. And Hong Kong books can criticize either government. And so um, so they actually 
you know they're all points of view there really and so it's uh, people are still reading you know even though they had a lot of machines for uh, readers of Chinese uh, books uh, you know small electronics, readers yeah. yeah all these electronic readers actually that you never hear about here I mean they're, they're exclusively of Chinese language books um, but you know people are reading books I mean there's piles and piles of books then they were going very fast they were giving 20% off 30% off that's good yeah so I think there's still a market for printed material uh, maybe not in the US that much but uh, yeah, around the world a, it's good to have the option and the, create the physical collection visually stimulating yeah and the problem is the space you know I mean as you know we're giving up space here in the library and we're losing what 30,000 square feet and uh, it's it's a problem with you know because we keep adding books still we're still buying books even with the budget cut and so not everything is uh, is available as an ebook yeah uh, and ebooks could cost a lot more depends and so um, right now it's you know we're still buying print because not everything is an ebook this uh, is all hot topics for the future and the changes of the information spaces yeah, oh. so it's an exciting time for you uh, to yeah. be in library school, I think. Oh, yeah, so a lot I really, of discussion uh, on policies. congratulate you for Thank you. taking that step. And uh, I'm amazed you're doing a class uh, a few, you know, states away. Yeah, online. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. It's their distance learning Masters of Science in Library Information Science. I'll be taking two classes this fall, starting August 24th. And there's a one-day a class in person um, you have to show up yes so I'll be back mid-October and I want to thank you for um, being here this hour our show is now coming to a close we'll play our last song of the hour here on our digital future again our guest here has been Dan Zhang here from UCI Libraries 24 years librarian thank you thank 24 you. years here at librarian 32 years in my 32 career. years congratulations and i hope many many years and lots of great uh, additions to the profession thank you thank you and stay tuned next week for more um discussion on our digital future of our information spaces with me zbz on kci 88.9 fm in irvine <laughs>